Lord Jesus, this morning we would wish to hear from you. <coughs> Lord Jesus, this morning we would wish to see you. Lord Jesus, this morning we wish you to be conformed in the likeness of you by the transforming work of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we want to meet with you. We want this field to be lifted and we want to behold the glory of our Lord and be transformed thereby. Transformed for renewal. Transformed for hope. Transformed for service. Transformed to go from this place that the light of Christ may be seen in us. So Holy Spirit, we acknowledge as the word has said that we are not sufficient for these things. But our sufficiency comes from you. So Heavenly Father, please help the preacher this morning. Help the congregation to hear what you're saying and help all of us to be transformed for the glory and the honor of Jesus' name. Amen. Of a class of 30 in my year group at college, only six, by their own confession, would still claim to have faith in Jesus Christ. This was a Bible college. And of that six, only two are still in full-time service for the Lord out of a class of 30. And it makes me wonder sometimes, and it makes me think in this age of difficulties, when we hear of persecutions, and we see the, the horrors of things happening in Nigeria, when we see the cold winds of opposition to biblical faith blow across the UK, what will keep us going in the faith? What will keep us strong in the Lord? What will help us not to lose heart? It's easy to lose heart sometimes, is it not? It's easy to be discouraged. It's easy to wonder what it's all about. Jesus himself, when he was with the disciples on earth, said to them, the sign of the time is if that the love of many will grow cold. And in the original Greek, it actually says the love of many will wax cold like a candle. When the candles are burning, the wax is lovely and see-through, isn't it? It goes everywhere. But when the candle cools down, the wax hardens and hardens and becomes brittle. It waxes cold. What will keep us going? And will you still be following Jesus 10 years from now? Now, in response to me saying that of the answer and your heart rise up and says, well, yes, of course I'll be following Jesus. I'm like, Peter, I'll follow you, Lord, to the ends of the earth. You've answered the question wrong. Because today we need to refocus and remember what it is and who it is that keeps us, how he keeps us, and what he keeps us for. This morning I want us to look right again at the heart of our faith, at the heart of Christianity, to the person, the man who is God, to Jesus Christ himself. The one who is our sufficiency, the one who is glorious and beautiful and holiest, the one who is marvelous. The one who I pray this morning through the ministry of the Holy Spirit will cause your hearts to burn again for him. Don't you love that scene in Luke's gospel when the disciples and Jesus are walking in the road to Emmaus? And what did they say to each other? Didn't our hearts burn within us? Oh, brother, oh, sister. I asked myself this. When was the last time my heart burned in the presence of the Lord? That our hearts would burn within us. How do we do this? Firstly, we look to Jesus. Look at verse 5 here, verses 1 to 6. Jesus is the one who keeps us. Paul here is writing the letter to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians is one of my favorite letters in the New Testament. It's brilliant, isn't it? If you want to take some time this afternoon, go home and read 2 Corinthians. Paul pours his heart out. It's one of the apostles' most intimate letters. And rightly so. 
Paul was in Corinth for 18 months. He planted the church there. He had difficult times in Corinth. Corinth wasn't an easy church. It was one of the cosmopolitan churches of the day. It was a mega city in those days. There was the seaport. There was trade. There was commerce. And poor Paul rocks up in the marketplace by himself and starts preaching. And he gets discouraged. And God comes to him one night in a very powerful vision and says, Paul, keep going. I have people in the city appointed to salvation. It's not brilliant. And brothers and sisters, as a side note, there's people appointed to salvation in Lincolnshire that we are here to preach the gospel to. Keep going. Paul keeps going. He plants the church. The church, let's, let's face to say the church is like a family Christmas. It's a bit wild. There's life, there's love, there's chaos. Read 1 Corinthians, you see what Paul had to deal with. He pours himself into the church. He tries to establish order. He loves the church. And what a beautiful picture it is of a pastoral ministry where the pastor and the church are so entwined. Paul says, I labor that Christ would be formed in you. He loved them. He poured himself into them. But the Corinthians decided they'd had enough of Paul. And so these super apostles, these great teachers who were so full of wisdom, came in. Paul was pushed to the wayside. His authority was questioned. The church pulled back from him, and Paul said, oh, hang on, guys. What's going on here? And so he writes to Corinthians. He pours out his heart towards him. He says, here, starting now in verse 3, are we beginning to commend ourselves to you again? Why have you got caught up in external things? Why have you got up, caught up in personalities? One follows Paul, one follows Apollos, one follows this. Guys, why are you doing this? Why are you writing letters of commendation to each other? What's this all about? Why are you giving out business cards saying, I'm the great preacher, I'm the great man? Let's get back to the heart. Let's get back to the heart. Christianity always goes wrong when it focuses on externals and ignores the heart. The Pharisees were the greatest Bible teachers of their generation. Jesus said that. They sit in the seat of Moses, listen to them, they apply the scriptures, but they don't practice. The externals look great, but inwardly it was corrupt. Paul says, no, no, guys. Let's get back to the heart. Let's get back to that place where it's uncomfortable to talk about. Let's look within. You yourselves are a letter of recognition written in our hearts to be read by all. You show us your letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink but with the Spirit of the living God. Not in tablets, which aren't iPads, but the Ten Commandments. Tablets of stone, but tablets of the human heart. Paul here reminds us it's Jesus who keeps us. He is our sufficiency, and He is the one who personally saves and redeems us from the inside out, from the heart. It's the heart that needs transformed. It's the heart that needs changed. It's the inner man that's gone wrong. Why is there problems in the world? Why is there chaos in the world? It springs from within the human heart. Let me just do a wee quick experiment. How many of you remember your high school pictures? Remember those pictures you used to get in school where you had to wear your uniform and your granny would lick the side of your face and comb your hair? And I used to hate school pictures. When you look at a picture of the school, who's the first person you look for? Yourself. And what do you go? You go, oh no, I can't look at myself. When you're driving in the road and somebody cuts you up, what's your first reaction? Rage, because they've gotten your way. Why is there wars and rumors of wars? Because I want my way. 
The greatest problem of mankind starts within in the heart. And Paul says, Jesus, the one who comes to keep us, the one who comes to transform us, is the one who changes the heart. He does what we cannot do. He changes what we cannot change through the power of his Holy Spirit. We saw this in John. John's gospel is littered with it. John chapter 3, you must be born from above, born again, transformed by the Holy Spirit. We'll look at it in John 15, 16, and 17 over the next couple of weeks at how Christ comes and abides within us to save and redeem us personally from the inside out through the power of his Holy Spirit. It starts with Jesus who keeps and saves us. And this is yours by faith in him, simple trust and faith. Repentance of saying, Lord, I'm not going to save myself. I'm not going to follow myself. I'm not going to try and work it out myself. I want my heart transformed to follow the living God, to be filled with only the fullness that he can give, to be loved with only the love that he can give, to find the purpose and meaning for which we were made that only can be found in him. Jesus is our sufficiency. He comes to save you and me, and he is the one also who gives us ministry and fellowship. Paul goes on to remind them of this. It's not these self-appointed apostles. It's not these self-appointed leaders who fill out their own CVs to look good. It is God who gives us the ministry and fellowship. Verse 4, such is the confidence we have in God, Christ toward God. We are not sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us. Isn't that such a relief? Isn't it? But Paul writes 1 Corinthians, it's almost like a shock. He says, you weren't wise. (laughs) You weren't rich. In fact, Corinthians, you guys are, you're you're pretty, you're dead beats. That's the Pollen translation. (laughs) But God saved you because he loved you. Way back at Deuteronomy, when God rescues the people of Israel in that powerful scene against the whole superpower of the day, what does God say to them in Deuteronomy through Moses? I chose you not because you were great, not because you were rock stars. I chose you because I loved you. And I set my love upon you. And I was determined to redeem and save you. We are here this morning, firstly, because God created us and gave us breath. We cannot breathe without him. He gives us ministry and fellowship. He gives us everything. But I was born in such and such a place. Did you decide where you were born? Did you say to your mom and dad, hang on guys, I want to be born on the the 22nd of September, 1988 here. If anyone's done that, please talk to me. You're a medical marvel. We didn't decide where we were born. We didn't decide the gifts that God would give us, the families he would place us in, the context he would place us in, but he has placed us there in his wisdom and his love. He is our all-sufficient one. Paul later on in Corinthians would go on to say, when I am weak, then I am strong because your grace is sufficient for me. Your grace, your goodness, your power. He saves us, he keeps us, he gives us ministry and fellowship. He brings us together. He is the one who is building Lincoln Baptist Church. He is the one who is doing his work across gospel churches across this land. Our sufficiency comes from him. Isn't that amazing? The only requirement you have to do to serve in God's service is to be insufficient. That's a blow to pride, isn't it? That's a blow to ego, isn't it? But I thank God it's true. Martin Luther, somebody, I don't know if they were giving it to me tongue-in-cheek, but they gave me, Martin Luther had this famous study prayer. It's a true prayer. And basically it goes like this, Dear Lord, I thank you that you're the leader of this church, that you're its shepherd and its guide, because if you left it to me, it would all come to destruction. 
But we thank you that your grace is sufficient. Amen. There's truth in that, isn't there, Bob? Brothers and sisters, as we start 2024, let us not forget that the moment we confess Jesus as Savior and Lord, we need him then. But we also need him right up until our last breath. We never stop needing, trusting, drawing from Jesus' strength, grace, power, and love, which comes to us through the Holy Spirit. Where the oceans, what's that song? Where the sky like a parchment above and the oceans an inkwell, I can never write or dry them to tell of the love of God. That's a really bad quote there. I do apologize. He gives us himself fully. That is the assurance we have. Verse 6, who has made us to be sufficient ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, which means the Old Testament law, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. He is the one who keeps us. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He is the good shepherd whose hands we are committed to and will never be plucked from. How does he keep us then? He keeps us, how does he do it? Verses 7 to 17. He keeps us by this, by an inner transformation of the heart. Let me tell you a story. I'll not name names. Well, in fact, we'll make up some names. Let me see. Who can I pick on? We'll pick on Nick and Sue. So Nick was a young author, and he used to write books. So Nick would write these books, and they were romance novels. PC romance novels, but they were romance novels. And Nick used to turn these out. He was like Celia Hearn. These books would churn out every year. And Sue one day was on the train. She didn't know Nick, but she knew of his books. And she found one of the books in the train. She picked it up and she read it and said, Oh, this is rubbish, and threw it to the wayside. A few weeks later, Sue was on a blind date, and her friends had set her up with Nick. And the conversation turned to what Nick does. And Nick says, Oh, I write books. Have you read one of them? Sue gets very embarrassed. So Sue decides that she'll go and read the book now that she's come to know Nick. And so she reads the book again. And what she thought was rubbish now, she feels different about because she understands Nick. She knows Nick. And so she reads the book with new appreciation. She gets a sense of humor and she, she gets the way he puts things. And actually the book is good. What's the difference? She's come to know the author. The Bible before us in a more profound and strong way is God's revelation of himself to the world. People often ask me, why hasn't God spoken to me? He has. He has spoken clearly and succinctly through his word from Genesis to Revelation. And in it, he has presented himself, his saving plans, his saving purposes, and his goodness to the world. But the amazing thing about this book is to know the author, you need him to show himself to you. You need him to open it to the eyes of your heart through the Holy Spirit. This is why Paul here talks about the ministry of death and this veil and what was going over Moses' face. To know the Bible, to know God, is to enter into a relationship with Him. How many of you have been on Facebook to check somebody out? Any confessions? Some of you don't know what Facebook is, that's okay. If you ever want to find out who somebody is, you go on Facebook and have a look at their profile, don't you? Are you doing it on social media? Have we look and see how, what they're like? You may know about that person, but you don't actually know that person, do you, until you meet them. 
This is the amazing thing about Scripture, and this is what Paul is saying to us here. This book is different from any other book because it is breathed out by the breath and spirit of the living God. This is a living and active word, and if you come to it sincerely and with your heart saying, Lord, speak to me through your word, he does. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? That the living God of the universe speaks to us here. And that's why Paul goes on about this, how when, God came, when Moses came down with the tablets of the law, that was external. And only Moses had saw the face of God, and Moses shone with the glory of God's face. And it wasn't even God's face he saw, it was the, the hinter parts of God. And he had to wear a veil to stop scaring the Israelites, but that glory faded. But when you see Jesus Christ, when you see him for the first time, when that feel is lifted and you behold him with the eyes of faith, it is a glorious and beautiful transformation. For in these last days, God has spoken to us through the prophets and through his things. But in these last days, he has spoken to us through his son, Jesus Christ. God from the heart and center of the universe sent not a prophet, sent not a preacher, but sent his only begotten son, true God of true God, begotten, not created, light of true light. To reveal himself to the world. Today's epiphany, or yesterday was epiphany. The church celebrates the revelation of Christ. He is the light that shines in the darkness. The light that dispels the cold of faithfulness. The light that heals, renews, and transforms for all who would receive him. I think Jesus is pretty wonderful. Don't you? And this is how he keeps us. He transforms our hearts. The law given by Moses was external. Do, do, don't do, don't do, don't do. And it didn't work. And there was a problem because the people of Israel kept rebelling. They kept breaking the law. As Richard said earlier on, I mean, you give your kids instructions to do, how often do they follow them? I mean, parenting's like a good law gospel relationship, isn't it? Children do this, this, and this. What do they do? Well, if they're like me, you do the exact opposite. How many of you have any teenagers in the house? Any teenagers? I have had teenagers in the house. Do you remember that remarkable time when you have teenagers, when teenage boys started to wash themselves? Do you remember that? Remember, teenage boys up to a certain point don't like to go into water, do they? Unless it's a lake or a stream or mud. But remember when it was bath time? Oh, the rows we had in the pollen household. I mean, looking back, it was stupid. Why wouldn't I want to bath? But now I love a bath. Why does this transformation come about in teenage boys? What has triggered this, this internal change? Is it love? Usually it's love, isn't it? When a teenage boy realizes that uh, the smell he produces isn't very attractive to get a girlfriend, his heart has been captured by something and it has been changed and that change drives behavior. You may say, well, Daniel, we know this. But how often in churches we forget it and we try and do performance-driven things instead of letting the Lord change your heart. Paul said this to the Galatians, you were saved by faith, you were saved by the transforming of your heart. Will you now continue in works? Will you go back to that treadmill of trying to please God through your own works? Through things? Look at me, Lord, look what I'm doing. Is it enough? Is it enough? It will never be enough. You cannot please God in your own strength. And that's why some of us are exhausted and tired and weary because we've fallen into that trap again of trying to please God through our performance. Trying to have letters of recommendation, trying to do all these things 
when the Lord says, stop, be still. And remember, it is me who transforms you from the inside out. The glory of the new covenant is greater than the old because it changes the very heart of us. Ezekiel pointed to this when I was talking about the heart of stone would be taken out and a new and living heart would come in. Jeremiah talked about it too. The Lord transforms from the heart from the inside out. It is by faith in Christ who changes and saves and redeems us. The veil is lifted. Look at verses 12 to 14 there. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. A living and true faith produces within the believer a hope. And this hope isn't something that will be taken away from us. I don't know about you, but how often we hear about the weather, don't we say, I hope it'll be a nice day tomorrow. And if you live in the UK, that's never going to happen, is it? When the Bible talks about hope, what has saved us and redeemed us is what also keeps us as well and what draws us on himself. Last week, we looked at Philippians 3. We press on to the upward goal of Christ Jesus our Lord, not because we make it our own, but because... He has made us his own. When you run in the Christian life, who keeps you and how he keeps us is by the revelation of self. God gives us himself. Not a dead faith of knowledge. Not a creedal faith that doesn't have a living and transformed, but a living, lively faith that keeps us. Thomas Cramner, the first Archbishop of Canterbury at the Reformation, has some lovely scriptures or sermons on scripture and the Lord's faith. And here he talks about this, how we come to the Bible and we see what is necessary to be learned in it. The fat pastures of the soul. Therein there is no venomous meat, no unwholesome thing. There is very dainty and pure feeding. Here may all manner of persons, men, women, young, old, learned, unlearned, rich, poor, priests, laymen's, lord, ladies, officers, tenants, wives, parsons, People of low estate, whoever comes to this book may learn all the things that they ought to believe about Jesus Christ. What they ought to do and what they should not do concerning his love to us. And this produces within us a true faith. A faith that doesn't believe things about God, but believes in God. It's a trust and confidence in him. That he regards us and is careful over us as a father is over a child whom he loves that he will be merciful to us for his son's sake, that we will have our own Savior Christ as our perpetual abdicate and priest, and in whose death, sacring, and suffering we trust that all our offenses will be continually washed, purged, whosoever repenting truly and from their whole hearts. The one who keeps us is the one who transforms us and holds us and never lets us go. And so we can have a hope we can have a certainty. Don't let your minds become hardened to this. Don't let the goodness of Jesus and the beautiful message of his word push you back, but trust in him wholly for your salvation, for he will save, keep, and never let you go. Does that get an amen? amen. Never lets us go. And I think some of those classmates which I've talked to and prayed over and cried over who walked away from the faith, they were doing it because they were trying to keep it. They were trying to run the race by themselves without the Lord's help. They couldn't do it. And so they lost heart. And they walked away and they left ministries and they hurt people. And, oh Lord, let that not happen to us. 
Let us not let weariness push us from Christ. Let us not let hardship be grumble against him, but let us again and again come to the Scriptures to see that he loves us. Let all things work together for good for those who are called by his name, to be conformed into the likeness and image of his Son. That he is the one who is with us in the dark places, and the dark places are not dark to him. And even though father and mother forsake us, the Lord will never forsake us. He will never let us go. He keeps us. And how he keeps us is by transforming our heart and causing us to fall in love with him and run after him with delight and joy and hope. And lastly, verse 18. What does he keep us for? What does he keep us for? Here Paul describes a process coming out to verse 18 of how the veil is lifted. This hardness, this separation between us and God, it's lifted and we see Jesus for the first time. This happened to the apostle Paul. Paul says we used to regard Christ according to the flesh. I mean, the world knows about Jesus, doesn't it? Jesus is one of the most famous and popular people on the whole planet. He is the most written about, most talked about, most dissertationized, I don't know if that's a word, doctorized about. There is more books about Jesus, more movies about Jesus than anyone else. The world in one sense knows about Jesus, doesn't it? But it doesn't actually know him. It regards him as a human teacher. It regards him as a wise man. It regards him as one of many in a mix and mush of this sort of windowsill to God. Perhaps that's what you think of Jesus. But as C.S. Lewis says, if we rightly consider the true claims that Jesus makes about himself, there's only three possibilities. He's either a lunatic, a liar, or he is Lord. For if Jesus was a good man and was going around telling people that he was the son of God when he wasn't, well, that's not very truthful, is it? We've all seen TV shows where people pop up, these random people, and claim that they're, I don't know, Batman or something or things like that. We all sort of look at them and say, I think you need to go and get talked to. No, he's not that. And he doesn't display lunacy through his life. In fact, all the opposite, he just displays controlled goodness, mercy, and gentleness. And even in the face of horrendous pressure from the Pharisees, he still displays love. No, Jesus is Lord. And to know him, we need to have the gift of the Holy Spirit to reveal him to us, to see him as he truly is, the Son of the living God. Hebrews, 1, Hebrews 11 verse 1 talks about this. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Thank you for following along with me. Faith assures us that Jesus is who he says he is. And we are convicted in our heart that we see him. We love him because of his transforming work in us. And so this veil is lifted and we turn to the Lord. This is conversion. This is salvation. Friend, if this hasn't happened to you, ask the Lord to do it today. Only he can do it for you. But if you ask him in faith and repentance, he will do it. Because where the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom from chains, freedom from guilt, freedom from shackles, freedom from sin, freedom from performance, freedom from self-righteousness, freedom to be who God made you to be in the glory and power of his love and spirit. Why do we make this so dull? Why do, why do we do this? Have you ever come across a Christian who's got a face like a well-skilled bottom? It's a Northern Irish saying, or my mom used to say like a bulldog chewing a wasp. Have you ever saw a bulldog chew a wasp? It's not a pretty sight. Oh, brothers and sisters, where Christ is, there is freedom. Freedom from condemnation. 
Freedom, eternal separation from God. Freedom to be transformed by his love and to know the God who made us, who shaped us, and in whose likeness and image we were created to rejoice and delight. Isn't this good news? And when we were yet sinners and away from him, he came to us. I can never get over that. I can never get over that. Why would God want to save us? I mean, I don't know. There was a, there was a teacher, I knew a teacher, bless her, in Northern Ireland. And she had one of those classes. If you're a teacher, you'll know what I'm saying. I'm going to say it's just one of those classes that just everything could go wrong. They were lovely wee Northern Irish kids, but they were an absolute nightmare. They'd be climbing the curtains, they'd be turning the tables over, they'd be setting fire to the teacher. So one day the teacher decided in a new way to teach them that she was going to give them, remember polis, not polystyrene, what do you call that stuff? Plasticine, thank you. Plasticine. So she gave the class plasticine, said, right, I want you to make an image of yourself. Create your own wee person. So the kids were a bit intrigued by this. So after they'd mixed up all the plasticine and it turned from those beautiful colors to that gray mush that it turns to, they started making their own images. So we, Jimmy made a picture of himself with a big head and a strange leg. And after a while, they made their own persons. And then she said, right, now we're going to put them all in the world together and they're going to live together in their own wee world. Kids were right, that's great. So let's put all these wee, all these wee images into this wee world. And they made, they made you know, like skyscrapers and, and all sorts of weird things. And they made this world. Now the teacher said, now, when you get people together in their wee world, they might fight, they might fall out. Should we make some rules to stop them fighting with each other? The kid's like, yeah, yeah, that's great. Let's, let's, let's make up great rules like, you know, don't lift up a skyscraper and stuff like that. So they made up these rules. So the kids were excited. They were listening. They were then the teacher said to him, there's a bit of a problem with your wee world. The kids were like, what? What's wrong? He said, well, they've actually rebelled against you and they said they don't want you anymore and they're going to do their own rules. The kids were like, oh. And one cried out with all honesty. He said, I'll break their legs. God made us out of the sheer goodness of his heart. Christianity is different in all world religions. We aren't made to serve a need or a function in God. We're made because he delighted and wanted us to rejoice and delight in his creation. He gave us perfect goodness, access to himself. We rebelled. And in our rebellion, he didn't break our legs. He came after us. And he tried to woo us and pursue us through our fathers in Israel. He tried to chase us through the prophets of the law. He tried to come and bring us back to himself. He displayed acts of goodness. We rebelled, we rebelled, we rebelled, we didn't listen. Lastly, he sent his only son into the world that we would listen to him. And we crucified him. I love that song, How Deep the Father's Love, because it's so true. I hear my voice call out among the scoffers. But I would like to think if I was there at Jesus' crucifixion, I'd have been, oh, like Peter or John, but no, I wouldn't have been. And as he dies on the cross, he cries out, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. And his last cry, Ted Leste, it is finished. Because on that cross, he bore our penalty, he bore our sin, he bore the wrath of God to us. He pursued us in love to the extent that he fully threw himself into it. There was no hesitancy. There was no backwardness. There was no way of Jesus trying to get out of it. No man takes my life from me. I lay it down on my own accord. And with that love, 
He destroys the power of sin and forever believes him as he rises from the grave to life eternal. He calls us with transformed hearts. He keeps us. He keeps us by this transformation and he keeps us for the revelation of his glory at the end of the age. Very shortly, we're about to sing, There is a Redeemer. And one of the verses in There is a Redeemer is that last line, When I stand in glory, I shall see him face to face and there I'll worship him forever in that holy place. What is glory? It's a word we throw around the church often. I looked up the dictionary yesterday. Glory is defined as this, prestige, fame, distinction, reputation, acclaim, eminence, splendor, magnificence, elegance, marvel, resplendent majesty. Glory is Jesus. And according to Hebrews 1, verse 2, he is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprints of his nature. He upholds the universe by the words of his power, and after making purification for sins, he sits down at the right hand of the majesty on high and waits for us to come home to him. That's what he's keeping us for. You ever think about that? I know at the start of the week, tomorrow's Monday. Who likes Mondays? What goes through your head on Monday? Oh, no, there's bills to be paid, shopping to be done, toenails to be cut. <laughs> Our vision gets so limited sometimes, doesn't it? We were made for eternity with God. And one day, if we trust in Christ, we will stand before him face to face. And we will rejoice with a tribe and tongue that no man can number from any tribe, tongues, and nation. Missionaries, keep going. Like a Baptist church, keep reaching. And bring as many people as we can to stand with him one day in that place. Will you still be loving Jesus 10 years from now if you remember that it is he who keeps you and you trust in him? If you remember that how he keeps us is through the transformation power of his Holy Spirit as we come to his word afresh and feed in him. And if you keep the hope in your heart that one day you will be home, home with him in the new heavens and the new earth, then yes, verse four, or for, for chapter 4, verse 1, do not lose heart. Remember the mercy of God. Let us pray. Lord, who is sufficient for these things? We thank you that through you, you give us sufficiency. I pray that it was off me and it was not helpful, would fall to the wayside. But I pray through the gentle work of your Holy Spirit that you would help us to behold the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Redeemer, our friend, the one who keeps us, who as the day rises each day, gives us breath and gives us the grace to face each day as our days are, so our strength shall be. The one who throughout the day is when we cry out for help and mercy before the throne of grace, gives us help and grace in time of need. The one who is our shepherd. 
And even in this congregation, undoubtedly today, there'll be those walking through dark fields. We pray, Lord, that they would know that you're with them, strengthen and confirm their heart in you. Help us to remember it is you who keeps us. It is you who saved us. We give you thanks for our salvation. We give you thanks for the love in which you have loved us greater than our own cold hearts at times. Thank you, you keep us through the transforming grace and work of your Holy Spirit. Christ in us, the hope of glory. And even though our outward nature is wasting away day by day, we are being transformed within. As we sung about, Lord, help that transformation to be seen more clearly in each of us. Your kindness, your gentleness, your love, your self-control, your goodness. That the fruit of the Spirit would be seen. That Christ like this would be seen. And as we run through this pilgrimage on earth, as the chill winds of opposition to biblical truth blow, as friends fall to the wayside at times and break our hearts, do you keep us running with you? Did you keep our focus on that day when our faith shall be sight? The sky rolled back like a scroll, the trump shall sound and the Lord shall descend even so. As we run, let us know it is well with our soul. And we would pause in the service now to and pray, especially for our brothers and sisters in Nigeria, as we see the attacks in churches and the massacres that have taken place over these past weeks. Lord, we pray that you would still the hand of the persecutor, that your church would continue to grow, and you would bless those brothers and sisters who are mourning today as there is a new crowd in heaven. We thank you for the hope that we can rest in peace and rise in glory through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So we would pray for them. As we pray for each other, Lord, I thank you for those gathered here today. We're mindful to pray in our midst of those who are struggling at this time. We pray especially for John, that your healing would be upon him as his hip is uh, it back together, Lord. Did you give Kate strength? Do be with those in our midst who are worried about family and loved ones who are unwell. These things do cause us sometimes to lose heart, Lord, to stumble. And you care about us. You care about these things. So we lift them before you now. Pray for our students back with us, Lord. We thank you. We pray they've had a good time away. Pray for their studies. That you give them strength. That as they read and study your word, that it would be transforming power to them. For those who are studying in Lincoln in itself, Lord, that as they seek to minister and serve you in all 